Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. So because I often speak about politics and uh, you know, religious, uh, faith-based approach to politics, a biblical approach to politics, things of that nature, I have a lot of people ask me about, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you think about politics from a Christian or a biblical or even a faith-based perspective? How, how does it work? What, what would be an example of how that's, how that's done? We've learned our whole lives that government's a secular thing, that, you know, religion applies to your heart and your place of worship and your immediate family doesn't apply to things out there in the world. So how do you, th- how do you think in those terms? Well, let me just give you today... Um, five pillars of a Christian approach to politics. Those of you who aren't Christians who are listening, welcome, of course. Uh, you know, it, you might apply these somewhat differently, our Jewish friends, our Muslim friends, but uh, the fact is, this is these would be the five pillars of how a Christian ought to basically think about uh, politics, government, public policy from a Christian perspective. Now, this is not going to be every single issue. This is not going to be every policy issue, but it's going to be five pillars that kind of guide us in our thinking. And the first one is this, and it's going to sound kind of radical, but it helps us sort of clear the decks of, uh, of the thinking that we tend to have in our minds. And I think I can say it best by saying it the way that a professor of mine said it in graduate school. He said, uh, conservatism, political conservatism and political liberalism are two versions of humanism. What we want as Christians is to be biblical. Now, that is exactly what I believe. And I know that some folks, when they hear the word biblical, they think about stoning teenagers for being rebellious or, you know, burning gays at the stake. Of course, nobody was burned in the Bible. But but nevertheless, that's kind of the image that comes to mind for some folks. I want to suggest it's different. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But but the beginning for me, the beginning understanding, the first pillar uh, is that the, the thinking that we have out there on both the left and the right um, is, is essentially humanistic thinking. I realize some principles might arise from faith and might arise from you know, specifically a biblical worldview. But when I look at conservatism today, I do not see uh, a thoroughgoing biblical worldview. And when I look at liberalism, I don't see a thoroughgoing biblical worldview either. I see two versions of humanism. And when my professor made that statement, it helped me realize that my, my purpose is not to align with the right or the left. My purpose is to try to think through from the perspective of God's will, meaning scripture, the leading of the spirit, my understanding of his nature and his grace, uh, an approach to politics. So my first principle, the place where I begin, is an understanding that the answers given to me by the system, so to speak, the answers given to me by the politics of left and right, are not adequate. They are simply two versions of humanism. And I've always been grateful for that definition. Uh, The second principle, the second pillar uh, from which I proceed, uh, is an understanding that my biblical Christian faith d- does apply uh, to the public sphere. It does apply to uh, matters of policy. Uh, in biblical history, uh, in, in the scriptures, you have two kinds of law given in the Old Testament. And I've said this before, so I'll say it very briefly here. Uh, you have ceremonial law, which is all about sacrifices and priests and you know certain kinds of ceremonies and certain holy days and calendars and all of that kind of thing. That's the ceremonial law. But then you have the civil law. 
And uh, the civil law, of course, were the laws that governed the society, civilized society. So you have laws that pertain to courts and laws that pertain to, uh, you know, how people ought to repay each other in a tort kind of situation. Um, you have laws that pertain to restoration of property, all kinds of things. And so some of the great societies of Western history have been built on the civil law of Scripture, while all of us understand that the ceremonial law has passed away. And I need to say, too, uh, because I have a, lot, a number of gay friends who listen to the broadcast, and they keep, they keep talking to me from their perspective, which I love uh, to hear about and discuss. Um, but, but I need to say, too, that this does not mean, when I say this, it does not mean that you simply take the Old Testament law as it was given to uh, the ancient uh, Hebrews, and you simply bring it into a New Testament era, and you observe it legalistically. That, that, of course, is not the case. The Old Testament law, for example requires that you stone an incorrigible teenager and put him to death by stoning. Well, I don't think there's any example of that any time recently in our history. Obviously, nobody's contending that. So the same thing applies to other areas of the Old Testament law. We don't believe it's simply brought unchecked, unchallenged uh, into the New Testament era. It's, it's modified by God's grace, by God's love, by the work of Jesus and so be, be aware, especially those of you who are not Christians or, or Jews and are not familiar with biblical uh, history and uh, biblical theology, that Christians are absolutely not contending that the Old Testament law is simply brought into the New Testament era unmodified. That's, that's clearly not the case. But what I do think is powerful and wonderful and that, that, that Christians ought to reclaim is the idea that the scriptures as applied to public policy provide a third way. I've mentioned this before. I want to mention it briefly now. I'm still on point number two, pillar number two. Leviticus 19 and verse 15 is a classic example where the politics that were given today of both left and right um, are, are not uh, always confirmed by Scripture, uh, and that sometimes, in fact, there is another way. Consider Leviticus 19.15. It says, Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor, or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now, this Scripture, one of many I might have pointed to, uh, shows us that that there is a another way, a third way that is not captured in the politics of the left and the right. Politics of the left tends to be a lot about the poor and the underprivileged and really uh, showing partiality to them. Um, there's absolutely there's a mandate in Scripture to care for the poor and the needy, but not to show partiality to them, particularly legally. But then, of course, you have the politics of the right, which tends to show favoritism. And by the way, the word here is probably better translated wealthy. So it says here, do not show favoritism to the wealthy. And of course, the politics of the right often does that. Instead, scripture says, judge your neighbor fairly. And I think that this is a, a scripture that, that brings in my mind, brings in the minds of some others, um, as a mandate to consider that there is a different way to approach things than simply from the tug of war between the left and the right, the rich and the poor, uh, those typical kinds of definitions that we've had for several hundred years in our Western history. And so that's, that's the perspective that many of us are attempting to take as we apply scripture uh, to public policy. The, the third pillar uh, it comes out of Romans 13, and it's very simply this, that government and the state are not secular entities. If there's anything that is true in Scripture, uh, it is that God says that he works through governments, that he grants them authority, that he calls Christians, calls uh, his people to pray, to submit, uh, to honor 
those are very those things are very clearly said in scripture so i could not be a thoroughgoing libertarian believing that government has no place or a very 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 limited place in my life and i could not be an anarchist, which believes that government really ought not to exist at all uh, or, or that we ought to overthrow any government that does exist. I, I do believe what the New Testament teaches, which is that government has authority from God and it has legitimate spheres in which it ought to operate and that that's appropriate. For example, the Bible makes it very clear that governments can legitimately tax. That's, that's, that's fine. And there, then you have other principles that come from that. If governments can tax, uh, then governments can define what the specie or the currency is. In other words, what they're going to receive, what form they're going to receive the taxes in. Otherwise, they'll be getting taxes in chickens and pigs and what have you. Um, if government is meant to def- to protect marriage, uh, as as we believe it is, it, then it should have a, it has to have some definition of what marriage is, so it knows what to protect. Um, if government's going to interact with people in a language, it has the right to decide what that official language, what that language of interchange is going to be, or if a number of languages are going to be the language of interchange. In other words, there are powers legitimately given to the state, and the state is not inherently evil. And both on the left and the right we have a tendency to see government as an, inher- uh, as an inherent evil. Uh, the right particularly has come very dangerously close to an unbiblical libertarianism, um, and the left at times can, be, can range over into an unbiblical kind of anarchism and, um, and defiance of governmental authority and, and moral boundaries, and the, the, neither of these are legitimate. The, the, the fourth principle, and it's not so much a biblical principle as it is proceeding from a Christian uh, theology or, or a biblical theology, is this. We have a tendency to believe that because uh, politics is sometimes a dirty process, uh, because it isn't pristine, because it isn't pure and clean, um, that somehow it can't be dealing with moral principles, that somehow it's something we ought not be involved in. I say all the time uh, that politics is really the choice between hold your nose and hold your nose tighter. Meaning that many times watching a law be made, watching government work is like watching sausages be made. We've heard that illustration many times. It's not pristine. You know, I I said in a speech recently that if I hear that some town is uh, moving against, uh, let's say, strip clubs on the edge of town, and that seems to be, I certainly agree, a moral kind of, you know, thing if it's done cleanly and legally, um, I always suspect that some guy, some developer's got his eye on that land. You know, I don't think that the entire coalition is somehow just suddenly concerned about morality in the community. Somebody's making a land grab. Somebody's interested in taking something over. Uh, in other words, you never have 100% purity. You, you never have things clean and pristine. It's never that way. People are always of mixed motive. People are always of mixed agenda. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moral mandates uh, within politics and that we ought not apply morality to politics. And this comes from the Christian idea that we live in a fallen world. Christians should be the least legalistic people in the world because they understand that we live in a fallen world. Sin has made everybody a little crazy. We're all a little cracked. And we, we need to understand that the world's not perfect. Politics is not perfect. Government's not perfect. Um, and so, you know, for example, in the recent embarrassing episode with the Secret Service in Venezuela, um, are, are we really to believe the Secret Service is inherently evil or, or should be abolished? No. But were there some nitwits in the Secret Service who brought dishonor upon it? Of course. And that is completely in keeping 
uh, with a view that we live in a fallen world and that even the good that politics does is sometimes undermined and mixed in with mandates that are not legitimate. And then finally, number five, and I want to really commend this one to you. I believe that a Christian approach to politics is always rooted in love, always powered by compassion, uh, always devoted to service, and, and always has caring for people at its heart. I think that we have engaged, especially on the right, in an angry kind of vicious politics. I know the left's vicious too at times, but we Christians, if we're going to be redeeming Christians in the, the public square, so to speak, we have to remember uh, that if we are going to act, we must act with an attitude of love. If you are opposing someone politically, fine. You got to love them, though. You got to love them. You got to have compassion for them. You got to pray for them. That's not my opinion. That's mandated in Scripture. So I might want to defeat a man politically, uh, but I have to love him. I have to pray for him. Let's say, and you already know where I, most of you know where I'm coming from regarding Barack Obama. You cannot hate Barack Obama. You cannot refuse to pray for Barack Obama if you're a Christian. Uh, you cannot uh, refuse to have compassion for him. You cannot refuse to honor him. All of that's commanded in Scripture. Or if I'm trying to defeat somebody on the other side of the political aisle, I must love. I must pray. I must have compassion. I might want to defeat him politically one day, and then the next day, help him, serve him, somehow uh, you know, be kind to him in some way. That's the nature of Christian politics. So we begin to understand that conservatism and liberalism do not give us the total answers that we need to have in the political sphere, that the Word of God offers a third way, this is my second principle, that the state is not a secular entity, but it is something that has authority from God and acts within certain mandates from God, that politics is not a pure process, but that doesn't negate the moral necessity of it and the moral good done through it, and always, always, always God's people who work in the public sphere, as in every other sphere, have to be people of love, compassion, and care. I want to tell you that this is not; these five are not something I do perfectly by any stretch, but in attempting to do them, I think I've been able to have some pretty significant influence, and it's because I'm really, frankly, surprising to most of the folks in D.C. They are used to someone who's an evangelical hating the left. They're used to someone who talks about the poor not being on the right. There's a third way, and I think our times are desperate for it. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox Cable News and CNN, and a blogger for the Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and American politics include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama, and the upcoming The Mormonization of America. You can learn more about Stephen at www.mansfieldgroup.com or connect with him on Facebook and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell for Chartwell Literary Group.